Health Tech listeners, I'm your host this week, Justine Absom. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice across health and social care. We've got another special episode this week ahead of New Year. So we're going to take a look back at some of our experts across radar healthcare to see what we've chatted about throughout the year um, on the on the podcast. So today I want to talk to you a bit about why partnerships between supplier and healthcare organisations are so important and what our listeners should look out for when speaking to new potential suppliers. That's great, yeah. Excellent. Love to help if I can. <laughs> As an experienced customer success manager, how should a relationship work between supplier and organisations? Everybody sort of pays lip service to the idea of partnership working, that uh, you want to work in partnerships with your customers, that uh, you want to give the, the best value you possibly can, that you want to try and drive the the, the real sort of those improvements we talked about in the introduction there. Um, but it's how you go about doing that because partnerships are two ways. You know, people are in civil partnerships, marriages, you know, working relationships. Partnerships works in lots of different ways. And you've got to actually have that give and take. But there's got to be honesty in there. There's got to be trust in there. And there's got to be a way to make sure that actually the two parties are working to the same aims and the same objectives. So it all comes back to that one piece, which is, why are they doing this? So as an organisation, you always want to understand what the customer is trying to achieve with whatever product it is that you're placing with them. The problem with software is that you get bogged down in the minutiae of the delivery. You think that you should do something just because you've got the ability to do it. And what you've got to always come back to is the reason why. Why are we doing this? Why are we actually embedding this product? Mm-hmm. What is it to do? Yeah, I can imagine it's quite easy to lose sight of those original objectives, especially six months down the line or a year down the line when um, you feel like you may have achieved that. But how do you know? One of the biggest risks with software implementation is they don't happen overnight. Mm. They take time. And people often forget that key objective, that key reason for purchase. What's the reason why you have brought the software into your organisation? One of our partners, and I have a, I have a quote here, Um, The Radar Healthcare team have been exceptional from day one. Their ethos is clearly to be a partner and to try to support their clients, making the system work for them and resolving any issues efficiently and effectively. So how does that make you feel when uh, someone who you work really close with gives you that sort of of testimony? Um, It's really nice, isn't it? Because it reinforces that we're doing our job properly. And actually, it's, it, it's coming across in that way as well. You know, if, if your customers are starting to see you as a true um, partner and, and, a, and a key cog in their organisational sort of workings, then you, you're doing something right. And, and that's what we've got to not just pat ourselves on the back and say, aren't we doing well? Mm-hmm. It's still ask those questions. Yes, it went well. Yes, we've delivered this service. But what could we do better? What could we constantly do better? People look at software as being something you just pick up and use mm-hmm. because we're, we're so used to it nowadays. You know, you, you go online, you order something, you plug it in or you, you start playing with it and it works straight away. And you don't need that sort of learning experience. Mm-hmm. So that sort of instant gratification that people are expecting is very different with our type of solution because it's not that instant gratification piece. What you're looking for is more about how do we build towards that? And how do we get them to see that sort of bigger picture initially? You're talking about, yeah, a, con- a configurable system as yeah. opposed to a um, proprietary one. So when you get an iPhone, 
you're buying an iPhone and you use the iPhone that has the iPhone has been designed to use and Apple want you to use it. Absolutely. Whereas your our software is designed to be configurable. So we work with the customer to make sure it works for them. Yeah. Um, it's, you don't do it the radar way necessarily. We will give you all that support and mechanism, but it's tailored to your organization. That's That's the point. It's tailored. So we are not... Um, a bespoke tailor. Mm-hmm. You will not walk in and we measure up and build something that uh, is unique to you. What we do is we take our core system and then tailor it to the requirements that you require, that you need. So thank you very much. Uh, so thanks again for joining us this week and thank you all for listening. So I just want to chat to you about the making the move from Four Seasons to Radar Healthcare. What, why you decided to make the move after 20 years um, and kind of the differences between working from a partner to a supplier. Why did you make the move after 20 years to Radar Healthcare? The, the reason for the move was because it, it was just kind of like the right time. Um, I had worked obviously for Four Seasons for 20 years um, and working in the health and social care sector, I'd kind of become very passionate and proud uh, to kind of like work in that sector because it's it's a rewarding sector. It's challenging, but it's ever so rewarding, especially when you can see the impact that it has on the people that are kind of like the end of that service that you're delivering. So yeah, it just kind of like felt like it was the right time. So obviously making the move here, how, how do you think you can help other organisations? Obviously switching from partner to, to supplier, what, what's your experience and how can you help? I kind of have the, the knowledge and experience that I've gained there of essentially going on the same journey as what any customer that I'll be onboarding onto the product has gone through, albeit it's always going to be different. Uh, obviously the beauty of Radar is that it's so customizable, so configurable, um, and I think that's really important and it's one of the main reasons why Four Seasons bought it in the first place. So having been like the project lead on the customer side, I've gone through like, you know, I've got first-hand experience of, you know, what those challenges may be, uh, especially working for an organization that, you know, Four Seasons is, is huge and still is huge. I think at the time it was, I'll probably get the numbers wrong here, but it's in excess of 150 services across mm-hmm. England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Jersey. Um, and that comes with its challenges, lots of different regulators, whether it's CQC, whether it's Care Inspector, Jersey and Northern Ireland obviously have their own regulatory bodies as well. Um, So yeah, um, and at the time, Four Seasons were also going through um, a period period of change, um, like structurally, Mm -hmm. in terms of the way the organisation was being run. Um, So yeah, our journey was quite complex. I suppose arriving at the Leeds office, uh, it was quite nice because the whole team were in. Uh, on that mm-hmm. particular day uh, because yeah. it coincided with uh, a project team meeting. So it was actually, uh, I was kind of nervous at the fact that joining a new company, mm-hmm. what was that onboarding process going to look like? Um, obviously, there's a lot of remote working. I was going to be based from home given the fact that I live in Greater Manchester. Um, so how would that work? And it gives a kind of, I suppose, a new angle and an added challenge to the fact of how do you build relationships mm-hmm. with you know other members of the team if you're not sort of like sat in a room with them. Um, So yeah, I was kind of semi-conscious of that, I suppose. So yeah, the first day was great because it just gave me the opportunity to meet the team sort of like face-to-face and not even just the project team, also the wider team. There was a few people from marketing, uh, Hannah from HR was in, there was a few uh, different people that were in. So yeah, it was really nice. And I suppose the good thing is, is that 
everybody was so welcoming and mm-hmm. that's been right the way through as I've sort of like met people sort of like along the way. When I talk to customers for case study calls or um, in the podcast actually we had Milton Keynes on a podcast a few weeks ago um, and he, Paul, you as the risk manager um, there, he said that because they, they had to change systems and move to the new LFPSE service all in one go. And he said, if I look back, I probably wouldn't have done it in one go. However, the partnership approach has helped us through this. Um, and it's, I think, I think it might have been you that said it when we were talking to you about your case today and um, said that you've not seen this in a supplier before. Um, so why do you think this is so rare? I think what Radar do really well is they focus on the customer. The mm. customer is the most important thing. Um so, you know, the, the way that they've kind of like structured the business in the background, the fact that you're assigned a project manager at the start, the fact that you're assigned a customer success manager, there's obviously the customer support team that kind of like underpin all of that as well. So there's a number of different layers to the support that you've got. There's an ex- escalation path that you can go through and everybody's kind of like a part of that process from the mm-hmm. very beginning. So it's not like you have somebody, which is what I've seen in the past, you have somebody that's kind of working with you. And then you get to a point where they've kind of like finished your bit of the work and maybe you're you're now just an in-life customer and you just need you, you know, your hand holding sort of like through the process and you just need to be looked after and you get passed on to somebody else, but maybe they don't know like the history yeah. of you as a customer and what you've gone through mm-hmm. and the complex work that maybe you've gone through, particularly what we've done with Radar. So that's where things can kind of maybe be a little bit unraveled. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think from what I've seen from Radar, and I don't, I, I have no idea why it's so unique. And maybe it's not unique. Maybe it's just it is out there, but Radar just do it very well. It certainly it stood out for me. The way we tried to push it in four seasons was that this is this is their system. So it's not radar system, it's it's their system mm. and they need to kind of like own it as a product. So if they want to do something, and this isn't necessarily the people that are just sat on the project team delivering it, it also goes down to the people that are, you know, the operators, the people that are going to be using it, you know, every day because it's more important that they get a good user experience and that they enjoy using the system. If they don't enjoy using it, they're not going to use it. Mm. And obviously they have to use it because it's part of their system, but they won't, they'll probably put in, the very the very least mm. to do what they need to do to do their job so if you can give them a good user experience that then i suppose a byproduct of that is that you get good data that kind of comes out of there and you get then you get good insights and you get better outcomes then for you know the residents patients service users that are actually using that system thank you so much for coming um it's been really nice to talk to you today thank you for joining me today chloe so today i kind of want to get your thoughts on implementing systems some of the top tips some of the challenges that social care or health and social care organizations might face um and essentially what what should they consider when when implementing a system like ours what exactly does the onboarding process look like for a system like yours what does it entail what do people need to think about I think as with all processes, it is entirely dependent on the organisation and I think that the mistake a lot of organisations make is they try to mirror what other organisations have done. What they need to do is take a step back. So one of the first things that we always advise people do is identify the outcomes that they're trying to get to. So I think people make a decision or are told that they're going to bring a system in and they immediately jump to launching it and everyone using it and it being a really happy family and it's, it's all going to be absolutely brilliant. What they need to do is take a step back and understand where they're trying to get to, why they're trying to get there, why they've decided on a system in the first instance and work backwards to make sure that they're able to achieve that. 
So you need to make sure that the system or systems you've chosen will help you to meet your outcomes. That is the first question that you need to be asking. You need to make sure that you've got a really strong implementation team um, because they are going to champion the new system once you've chosen it. They'll have to have an internal sponsor. They'll have to have a project manager. They'll have to have someone who's involved quite heavily in integration, in making sure that any integrations with other systems are sound and work how you want them to work. And that integration team is responsible for making sure that the project is resourced properly, um, that there are no conflicts in what you're trying to achieve with other parts of the business, um, that you have a very solid succession plan in place so that if people leave the business, it doesn't have a negative impact on the project overall. That's really interesting, actually. Some of the, like, where you say they need a succession plan and they need um, to think about the goals beforehand, would you say that they should think about that before picking a system or would you say that actually work it out with with the system you've chosen? So, yes, they'll know they want a system and they want a system for this reason, but when yeah. you're actually succession planning, would you suggest that they do that with the company? So with Radar Healthcare, for example. A good system provider will want to work in partnership with you to make sure that that is a success. So if you have chosen a system and as soon as you've paid the invoice, that provider has walked away, Mm. um, you've probably chosen the wrong system. It's not going to work out for you long term. Um, the, The provider that you're working with should be as engaged as you are in the success of that system. And part of that should be looking at succession planning, looking at communication strategies, asking what your outcomes are short and long term. At times, they should be driving you crazy asking why, but that's their job. That's that's how it's going to be a success. Um, so it should be a partnership approach at every step of the process. If you don't feel like it's a partnership approach, if you feel like you're doing all the work and you're not getting any responses, if you're not getting the level of customer service that you would expect to achieve, recognise that you may have made a mistake and do something about it. Some people can take change. Some people hate change. Yeah. What would you say to that person that absolutely hates it, doesn't want to do it, really, really is against everything? How would you turn them around? You're going to have some early adopters. So they're the people that are willing to have a go and their opinions have a massive impact on whether other people are going to have a go as well. They're probably your champions. They're the people that you pilot it with. Um, You're also, once you've done that, you're going to have the early majority, you're going to have the late majority. When you get into the point where you've got the late majority, um, they only start to use a system where they're running out of options. We'll get to the point with most systems that if you want absolutely 100% of the people to use it, you're going to have to take the other systems away. Some people will find it beneficial that they've got more time to care and help. Some people will find it beneficial that they are doing less paperwork overall. Some people will find it beneficial that they're getting loads of compliments and people know what such a good job they're doing. Everyone's going to have their own benefits. That's where you've got to recognise individuality and communicate with them. What are your top three tips to a successful implementation? Okay, so I think the most important thing to do is identify the outcomes that you as an organisation are trying to achieve in implementing this system and take the time to do that properly and return to those outcomes on a regular basis. So don't write them down on a piece of paper and save it somewhere and forget all about them. All the way through the project, all the way through implementation and through the whole lifespan of the 
of the system make sure you return back to your outcomes i think you should keep it simple and build on your success so don't try to launch with a system that is all things to all people keep it simple get it right and then build from that solid foundation and my final tip would be always ask why what everyone whatever anyone says or does or requests just keep asking why until you are completely confident in what you're trying to get to and you can be can be confident that you can get there as well for them well thank you so much for joining us this week and thank you to everyone for listening so jonathan welcome to what the health tech thank you mike so today we're going to discuss the importance of security across healthcare so where the main focus should be keeping secure day to day and what is so important about it. So Jonathan, to start off, it'd be great if you could give the listeners a brief overview of what's involved in your role uh, as a quality and information security manager at Radar Healthcare. Yeah, sure, Mike. Um, So one of the main roles that I've got at Radar Healthcare is to implement um, a governance structure um, into the organisation. You know, it's one of the most overlooked things when when you're considering information security. So what that will entail is going for ISO 27001 certification in particular. Um, So that is making sure that we're implementing good governance policies, procedures, um, and looking at um, technical controls that we can bring in in order to um, improve our security posture and obviously keep our most important um, assets safe. What does um, information security mean? In healthcare, yeah, it, it, it is probably one of the most important things uh, in my view. I've worked in healthcare for since two thousand and nine. You know, I've only had a five, uh, two or three year break from that. Information security is one of those things that is expected. So uh, when you go to a doctor's surgery, you know, you d- you don't walk through that door. And the first thing that hits your head, it isn't, oh, my data, is my data going to be kept secure? You know, what about my data? You know, a patient doesn't think about that. You know, they don't think about that when they're being wheeled into an operating theatre. I think, I feel it's it's an expectation that data should be kept secure, available and accurate. For me, those are the three key things, you know, um, in, a, in a healthcare setting for what data, uh, for what data should be. You know, it's, it's, it's quite... And again, I don't people. I don't think people realise the value of um, the data that healthcare companies hold. Yeah, it's um, you know, if you look at some cases, it's got your data from when you were a child, everywhere you've lived, every every everything you've you've done, healthcare related, is, mm. you know, from from a child right to an adult. So it's 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 really high ticket data if you yeah. like it's quite vast as well dependent yeah. on depending on who you are you know some organizations can have that but some organizations might not but it's still it's still health data yeah how can healthcare providers ensure personal information is secure day to day i think it's just been a little bit smarter you know i've worked in previous jobs i've worked with organizations that have the ability you know they can spend two three million pound on security software and technology you know the drop of hat and don't even think about it but that's not what you know in in healthcare that ability you know is quite rarely there so looking at going back to the early point of why i got brought into radar healthcare i think looking at those compliance systems and having that dedicated person that can that can go out and, and look for those systems that are suitable to that particular organisation. You know, 
you don't have to pay the world to have good security. You know, they always say that, you know, the biggest, I don't like the term in the word weakness, but, you know, the biggest point there where problems can arise is from an individual, you know, a poorly trained or unscreened individual. People just need to be a little bit more smarter and, and invest in people. You know, I think if you invest in people that you will lower that risk from an information security perspective and, you know, you might actually retain that member of staff as well if they feel valued in that role. What do you think a customer um, of Radar Healthcare would think of information security and what does that mean for them? Well, personally, from from, from a customer's perspective, you know, um, it's it's their data. You know, if, if something happened, you know, they're almost, it's, it's almost like giving a child to a stranger. You know, you expect that person to look after that child. And, you know, if, if that doesn't happen, you know, you know, everyone is going to be, you know, pulled up for it. Mm-hmm. So from a data security perspective, you know, they, they, they require us to keep data secure because, you know, quite simply, if we don't, you know, they're also going to be on the front pages of, you know, the newspapers as well. You know, it's not just going to be radar healthcare. So that they entrust us with that data to make sure that it is, like a, to a previous point, that it is accurate and available um, and secure. So that's, you know, it, it, there's a level of trust there. Um, for us for us to do that and I think that they are opening up more to like I said the compliance based systems for what we are currently um, implementing within uh, Radar Healthcare. Thanks for joining this week and thanks for thanks for listening. Thank you everyone to join for joining us this week thank you for listening um especially over new year and thank you to everybody for for all your support since we started What the Health Tech um in April this year. We hope you've enjoyed listening to the episodes. Um, We're going to be back in 2023 with lots more industry experts um, and lots lots more external guests from across health and social care. In the meantime, if you'd like to ask us any questions for us or our guests throughout the year, please email whatthehealthtech at radarhealthcare.com and have a very happy new year.